Because if you, like me, are in Ephesians chapter 5, and you have your, your Bible, this is really funny because it's one of my favorite chapter titles or headings, Renounce Pagan Ways. So we're going to get real clear about, about things here in a minute. So am I reading or you? I just talk, so I guess it's your turn. All right, here we go. Ephesians 5, 3 through 14. There are some big words in here. But fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among saints. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator of Im- or impure person or one who is greedy, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God, we've got to take a look at that, huh? comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be associated with them. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, this is a little poem, Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So I think this passage is really, really simple. Huh. Okay. So here's, here it is. You guys ready? Here's, here's, here's the answer. Sex outside of marriage, pornography, any kind of greed, they're all bad. They make God angry, and you don't want God to be angry with you, or you're going to be destroyed. So you better give it up. Okay. I think that's it. Did I cover it all? I think I got all of it there. So the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, go in peace to not do any of those things or even ever talk about them because he says not to mention it. This is one of the passages where you read it and you're like, let's just move on. There's so much to unpack. There's so much to misunderstand, right? There's so many never get the inheritance of God, the wrath of God, never talk about these things that we're like, all right, I'm going to need to do a little bit of studying this week. <laughs> so, Well, it's also fun because this passage has been so barbecued by people and used as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's used as, as, a, as a means to encourage people to go and, you know, picket strip clubs and picket even funerals of, of uh, soldiers who have died in war because they're murderers. And, and Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers and all kinds of stuff. It's just it, this thing has been so abused. And people come into church and then they hear us read these words. But fornicators and impurity of any kind of greed, you know, like, they're like, oh, my gosh, you had to pick this Sunday to talk about this. And we're just, I mean, okay, we didn't, we're not cherry picking the passage. We're, we're just here. So don't be too uncomfortable. We'll unpack it. So there's so much to talk about, Heidi. What do you want to talk about today? <laughs> I want to start at the, I want to start at the top at first three and just let let's just see what he's talking about like what are the things because he keeps bringing them up over and over again there's kind of three areas so Paul's in prison and he's kind of picked three areas that he wants to talk about and you you might disagree with some of these things today and that's okay so he's going to talk about fornication he's going to talk about sexual like the different sexual immorality sexual impurity um, that's one so he's going to talk about that and 
just because I thought I knew what it meant, but I didn't want to be like assuming, you know how you think you know what? I looked up fornication in the dictionary, and it means sex outside of the union of marriage. So that's, that's what he's meaning here. So you just don't want to say that and be wrong. Um, and he's talking about vulgar talking, just like nasty, icky talking. And he'll say it again. And he's talking about greed, like wanting things. We're, we are bred for greed. And we are bred to be consumers, to not be happy. So he's talking about greed. So he's talking about these three areas. And he brings them up. And he says, there is no place for this among you. It doesn't belong here. And then he talks about him again, right? He says, he says, there's not for you guys. And then verse four, he's like, no obscene, silly, vulgar talk behavior. They talk about different ways, but instead, this is really interesting. And I was like, what? Thanksgiving. Like what? He said, instead of this, this is what the body, this is what you guys look like. You are a grateful thankful people. This is where you put your energy and your focus. And then he says it again, be sure of this. No fornicator, impure person, the, the vulgar talk, it comes, there's a set of three, or greedy person has a place in the inheritance of the kingdom of God, Christ. We're like, so what does that mean? Because I have been greedy. Does that mean I have no place? Like, I have been impure. Do I have no place? I have let empty talk like, Eugene Peterson doesn't even say, like, vulgar. He just says gossip. He puts gossip and empty talk in there. And so we have to look at what does that mean and then the wrath of God. So we've got to look at what those mean or um, um, we could be really judgmental, <laughs> really judgmental people. What do you mean we could be? We are. We are. In the church, we are really, okay, we are. The evangelical church is really judgy. Maybe we should do this like an AA meeting. Yeah. I am an evangelical Christian, and I am judgmental. Yeah, and it hurts. Say it together. It hurts people. Um, I, had a, I had a conversation at the fair. So kind of our world a lot of times is you all, which is lovely. But um, I had a conversation at the fair with a lady who is the pastor of the Baha'i community in our, and she, Mrs. Oh, a lovely human being. She is lovely. I like her so much. And I don't even really know what Baha'i people believe. Like, honestly, I don't really know. And she and I had a conversation about faith and her concern that our communities have lost hope. Her concern for the young people because they... Um, they don't have bearings for how to live life. And she's just talking about without God, we are lost. And I thought we're coming from such different places, and it was so easy to talk with her. And there was nothing in that conversation that we disagreed about. She was really concerned for her kids. They're in their 20s, and she works at the university. She's a professor as well. She's really concerned because young people don't seem to have... Um, she doesn't see that they have, like, she doesn't see that they have, um, see that there's consequences for their behaviors, and they're just kind of going wild. And when I was talking with her, I, I realized how easy it was, and I thought, why is it sometimes easier to talk to somebody like that than another evangelical? Why is it easier for me to have a conversation with my neighbors who are Catholic about our faith? 
And I just asked my sister, and she goes, because evangelicals are so judgy. She goes, you're thinking, where are you wrong? Where did you get it wrong? How do we disagree? How did you? And, and I just want to, I just want to, like, can we let that go as a group? Can we just talk with people and not have to think about how they're wrong and I'm right, but just, like, listen and not try to convince other people that the way we see it here is right and the way they see it across the street is wrong? Um, it took, I, I, don't, I don't know. It just really, it's what, we, it's what I've been praying for us and for myself that I could learn how to have conversations with people who think differently than me and not judge them. So part of why we do that, I think, is because we talk, as we talked about last week, I think we, we, it's these passages, but we live from the frown of God in them. We say, look, this is the old kingdom, the old way, and we're not to be like that. And so if you're like that, then you're subject to God's judgment. Instead of, instead of living from the smile of God, which is what this is, that we have this whole new kingdom that, that Jesus is building and bringing into our world, and he is bringing it as a grace, as a gift. And this comes, this new identity that we all have in Christ comes before any of the behavior changes that happen. That Christ came to seek and save the lost. The, the sick need the doctor, not the well. And so he came to the sick as a gift, as a grace, because he loves them, not because he's coming in judgment. It says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. John three sixteen, right? That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not come to condemn the world. He does, that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to condemn the fornicators and those who are impure and those who are greedy. He came that they might be saved. And it is a gift first. And out of that, this new humanity comes to us. And out of that, we behave differently. So this passage has been used to point at the world, but the thing is, it's written to y'all. <laughs> this is written to y'all, to, to us all, <laughs> or whatever that, this is, it's to, to us. It's not, not to the, the porn shop down the street, or do we even a porn shop down the street? I don't, I don't even know. But, the, but there's, there's, there's the Adam and Eve place over there. It's not written to those people. <laughs> uh, it's written to us in here. And so the judgment that we are talking about really is ought to be looking inwardly at ourselves from the smile of God. But we do need to talk about the wrath of God because, holy cow, that sounds terrifying. Can we look at the Paul's, like, antidote here, that Thanksgiving that he throws in there first? We can. I thought we were ending with it, but okay. Oh. I mean, unless you're ending, we can do that no, too. No, I'm not. <laughs> All right, and we're done. But it was so interesting right in here. It's like he said, rather than these things... Thanksgiving. It's like he's saying that, it's hard to get your brain around. I've thought about it. I saw it. It's like he's saying that an, an, an antidote to living greedy, and I've experienced this, is thankfulness. And it's like when you practice being grateful, there's a, sh I have experienced like a shift inside of me. I would say that there, I, I can be a very greedy person. I can look and see what other people have that I don't have, and I can want it. Or I can want, and not even what other people, I can want the next thing, or I can believe this thing. And when I practice sitting down, I'll notice something inside of me that's so dissatisfied, and I sit down, 
and I just start naming the things that I'm grateful for, I sh there's something inside me that shifts, and I'm satisfied. It's like I get a new set of lenses that comes over me. I've really experienced this, and I leave being content with what God has given me and not needing to want what other people around me have or what it looks like they have. And I was, I, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering, how does that work with sexual impurity? And want, maybe wanting something that's not yours, wanting something you don't have, lusting after something that's not yours to have, and instead you're grateful for what you have, could take some of the... I've been thinking about it. I don't have the answer. It scares me a little bit because every now and then she just looked at me and she goes, I'm so grateful for you. <sighs> so now I'm kind of wondering what's going on. <laughs> yeah. I am, but that's so, jeez. Sorry. So, yeah, Paul's stating that, that being grateful can change your moral compass, in essence. That's pretty powerful. And if you ever notice, Paul has a lot of Thanksgiving one-liners. Like in Philippians, don't be anxious. Be thankful. There's First Thessalonians, he's like the fruit of it is being grateful. So there's a lot of Paul's one-liners are be a grateful people. And I like his Corinthians one where both books of, to the Corinthians, like the Corinthians were a train wreck of a church, you guys. These people were like, these, the, this is the church that had the pot shop in the lobby and, you know, the porn shop in the back. This is like that kind of church. And Paul says, every time I think about you, I give thanks to God. I'd be thinking about every time I give thanks to you or think about you, I just want to smack something. But he's thankful, and it changes his whole attitude toward them. And that's kind of a beautiful thing and difficult. And I struggle with thanks, thankfulness, but maybe we'll talk about that later. So when you say, when he says the First Corinthians church was really a mess, what was going on in the First Corinthians church is people would go to the church service, like the Christians, and then they would go to the temple of Zeus and worship and get drunk and then go have sex with a prostitute. And those were the believers. Yeah, it really was a good still a mess. Because they, it, it's how they had been. It's how they had been operating. And Paul's saying, your body is a temple. It's not meant for that. That's not what your body's meant for. So let's move down to um, no inheritance. So that, that kind of moves down. So people, people who operate in that way have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. You want to take it or you want me to take it? Mm -hmm. So we got to talk about Paul's view of morality okay. in order to, to talk about the, the wrath of God and that they have no place in, the, in that kingdom. Paul has, has built, you have to read all of his works to, to really put together this picture of what Paul's morality is. Um, here he says, no immoral or greedy person has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Um, and again, this has been used and misused and barbecued and just, just this one lifted out. In fact, I had a pastor quote this to me over a phone call saying why he wouldn't hang out with Catholics. He wouldn't even, he wouldn't go to a prayer service if Catholics were there because of this. And it's just, it's not what Paul is even talking about. In fact, if Paul were here today and saw how we use this, well, he would, if he was alive, I don't know what he would do. But if he's dead, he's rolling over in his grave repeatedly. That's how we say it. So talking about Paul's view of morality, you have to look at 1 Corinthians particularly. Um, and it's not just that God doesn't like sex or pleasure. It has nothing to do with that. But it does have to do with recognizing that our bodies matter. And how we use our, we, all of us, use our bodies matters because it affects one another. Um, if you just look at the, the STD list alone from the FDA, every day they're adding new diseases to it. 
And so from a, just a health perspective, Paul's like, no, this doesn't work because you're introducing disease into your own body and then into the body of Christ. So it shouldn't be amongst the body. But it's not just that. Your body matters because it's going to be resurrected to do life. It's not something that is thrown away. This is not something that is just, you know, that belongs to this world, and then you're going to leave this world, and it's done. This body is getting resurrected, and we are joined together. Secondly, it doesn't belong to you. That body was purchased with a price by Jesus Christ. It is not your own. You know, we say, my body, my choice, and that's maybe true in a, sen- in a sense, but as a follower of Christ, I have turned my whole self over, body, mind, soul, spirit, to Jesus Christ, and now my body is no longer my own. And then he says that your body is a gift. The older I get, the harder I have uh, time, you know, the harder time I have believing that. You know, you wake up creaky knees, like, oh, and I'm having a really hard time being thankful for that. But my body is a gift because I can't experience this world without it. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. So every meal I get to eat is so wonderful. Every time I get to kiss my wife, it's a wonderful experience. I just embarrassed her. Ha, ha, ha. Um, you know, these things are, these are a gift. They're good and they're wonderful, and our body is a gift. So Paul builds his whole morality on that from this Old Testament perspective, that God never abandons his people, that God uh, uh, can sometimes allow whole generations of people to turn themselves over to their sin, but he does not walk away. And reality is that we can take these gifts that we have, and we can use and abuse them, and when we do, we can actually forfeit our inheritance. Think about that. We can forfeit our inheritance. We've been saved. We've been bought with a price. And we can, we can walk in that or we can turn away from it. And if we consistently, over a long period of time, continue to turn away, turn away, turn away, so at some point, we walk away from God and we reject our inheritance just as the Israelites did. And God finally turns his back on them. He says, I love them, but they no longer want to walk in my way. He comes back after them. He pursues them eventually. But that's what he means by they have no inheritance. They've turned them back on me over and over again. Go ahead. This is how I wrote it. Um, To miss out on the inheritance means to miss out on what you're made for. Like you're missing out what God created you to be. When you're operating in greed and these different ways and sexual morality, you're missing out on who you were designed to be. You're made in the image of God, the glorious image of God, and you are meant for ruling and healthy relationships. That's what you're made for. So I think that is what it means. You're not operating how God wanted and what he intended for you. So the problem in this church is that there are folks who are still, and that's why this says renounce pagan ways, they're still walking in the old way. God's grace came to them and a new identity came to them, but they are living out of the old and they are using their bodies and misusing their bodies, and they're using them in a way that isn't like the kingdom way. It isn't the way God intended. It brings life and allows you to rule and have self-control and to, you know, to bring goodness to the world. And then the worst part is, it's not just that it's happening. That's why he says, don't let this even be mentioned among you. He's not saying don't talk about it. That really bothered me when I first read it. I'm like, but this is what got us in so much trouble in the first place. We haven't talked about it. He's not saying don't talk about it. He's like, it shouldn't even be a thing people say about you. They'd be, hey, Bob, you remember Bob? He was out, you, didn't you see him at the temple last weekend? Whoa, Bob was crazy. You know, that's what he's talking about. But not, it's not just that. Now he's got guys and gals that are gaslighting the rest of the church. You guys know the term gaslighting? It's a young people term. Okay. You just all aged yourself. <laughs> Ashlyn, you know what gaslighting is. Gaslighting is where you 
you, you say to somebody, like they're telling you the truth, and you twist it in such a way that makes it feel like they're the one lying, that they're the one not, and, and that what they're having to say is actually they're believed a lie. And people will do this as they get stuck in this dark place. They get stuck, as we talked about last week, you know, their, their minds have been numbed and they're looking for anything that will make them feel. They convince themselves that anybody who calls them out hates them. And so they turn it on them and they gaslight them. And they're like, it's not a big deal. This isn't a big deal at all. God doesn't even care about this stuff. So he says, don't let, don't let empty talk deceive you. How is the word? <laughs> like, let no one deceive you with empty words. That's what he's saying. Don't let these people gaslight you. Don't be, don't be deceived. God cares. But he also gives us grace. And he's not asking us to like, just suddenly be a different person. He's saying slowly over the course of our lives, as we walk and we move and we live in this new identity in Christ, we change. We change. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. If you get the wrath, if your kids got the wrath of you, ooh boy, right? Think of the wrath of something and it's like pulverize, destroy. You are in such big trouble. And so we read this and we think Paul is saying God is going to wipe them out and destroy them. And so we're like, oh my gosh, is that what Paul's saying? That Paul's saying that he's just gonna get God's gonna go in and wipe these things out. That's what I would mean. That's probably what you hear when you read this. So we looked at what does Paul mean by the wrath of God. Romans 1, Paul talks about the wrath of God. And it's a whole chapter on what that means, the wrath of God. And I think it's really helpful. There's three times in there the phrase, what's that phrase? He turned them over. So the people were acting in such a way, God turned them over. It's kind of funny because the wrath of God actually might feel like a good thing at first. Yeah. You, it's like, you know, giving the toddler exactly what they want. So when he's saying this is what God is doing, the wrath of God is God is removing himself from them. He's, remo- he's giving them over to themselves. I think one of the most beautiful examples of this is C.S. Lewis's, see, I wrote it down here so I could remember it better. C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce, he writes a parable of what happens when people die after you die, the parable of the final judgment. And he paints this beautiful picture of people who when they finally get to new creation, for them it's hell. It's the wrath of God for them. Because to be in that presence is hell. He talks about the beautiful grass and how he talks about the grass and they sit down and it hurts them. God's beautiful creation actually hurts them. And that um, this part, it's hell for them. And it's new creation. It's too real. And their bodies are just shadows. The reality is it wasn't what they wanted. I think that is what Paul meant by the wrath of God. He is turning you over to yourself. He's turning you over to let you do it your own way, and it feels like hell. The natural consequences of our behaviors. God is turning us over to exactly what we want, to do what we want, knowing that the consequences of those things bring death. And so what happens is as God lets people do all these things, the old kingdom is dying slowly, 
bit by bit. It's disappearing. It's going away. But God's new creation is being established and renewed. But the thing is, this passage, again, is talking to us. He is saying to the people of God, the children of God, those who are bought and marked by and have chosen this way of life, don't be like that. There shouldn't be talk amongst you that this is even going on because the old kingdom then is, is it's destroying and it's dying. It's not bringing life. And let nobody deceive you and to say that it's not a big deal because it is a huge deal. The question that Paul gives us in asking this is which universe do you want to live in? <laughs> which universe do you want to bring life to? And he is inviting us to bring life. And I, it's, it's that Dallas Word quote from the beginning of the series. The system that you are living in is perfectly designed to get you the results you're currently experiencing. Which system are you living in? Which kingdom have you been invited to? Paul says, since you chose Christ, and I love this, you are no longer darkness. He doesn't say you're no longer in darkness. You say you're no longer that. You're no longer darkness. You are now light. Be light. Live as children of light. And all that is good and right and true. I love this line. Try to find out what pleases the Lord. Do you live that way? You're like, I'm trying. I don't always get it. I'm looking for what's good. I'm looking for what's right. I'm looking for what's pleasing. I just really, res it's discernment. We live discerning, knowing we're human, knowing we sometimes miss it. I, um, but let's talk, about the, let's talk about the light. What, is, what do you want to talk about? I want to talk about... Hmm... I want to talk about learning to be a community of people who walks in the light, who's trying to look for the discerning things, that's trying to um, put away that which is dark, who's learning to talk about what's light. Um, I, think, I think that we haven't done a very good job of telling people what's going on inside of us in the church and we live in darkness. I think we've done a pretty good job of not following the, the, um, the invitation to walk the light. I think part of the light is telling other people, one or two people, what's going on and being honest. And I've experienced it. I've experienced when I'm finally willing to open up my mouth and to really share what's going on, I experience the light. I experience freedom. I'm in a triad for my spiritual formation group, and I have heard each of us it's a safe space. I've heard each of us say, I feel like I'm too much. Each of us, I've heard say that, I feel like if I told you what's really going on, it would be too much. And I think we just walk around and we carry it with us, and so we're trapped in the darkness. And I think, and I know and I have experienced the times when I have carried things and I open my mouth and I tell somebody, it comes out in the light and I actually can start to begin to grow and feel change and freedom. And Paul says in verse 11, I'm going to find it, 10, it's in between 10 and 12. I see, there it is. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
That's his second instead. He has instead thankfulness, now instead expose them. And it's, it's about bringing these things into the light with one another. It's interesting, so as our, our role as pastors, we kind of have the Catholic role as confessor as well. And what that means is when people are struggling with something, they'll come to their pastor. And it's because we're safe. Because whatever you say to us is held in pastoral confidentiality legally. Like, right? We can't go telling people. But what Paul is inviting us to is, in y'all, expose it. Share with each other. Find that safe person in the aisle across from you. As he he uh, has talked about, and I'm trying to find where I wrote this down, because we've moved all over the place, you guys. This is like a ping-pong sermon for me. Um, I wrote it down, where it is. It's we are healed. It's back in 4, I think 16. But Paul says that we're actually healed as we are knit together, as every ligament and every joint does what it's supposed to do. Then we are healed. The, the sicknesses that we have, not just, I mean, physical pain, that's sometimes easier to bear with one another, right? The things like, oh, my, I've got a calf problem. I tore my Achilles, and you wear the boot, and everybody gives you sympathy, and we'll pray for you. That's easy to share. But the, the, the sicknesses and pain that go on in our head, in our heart, our depression, our anxiety, our fear, our addictions, all of those things, those are so much harder to share because it's so shameful feeling in this culture to be weak and broken in that way. And yet Paul says, we are healed not as we hold it, not as we hide it, not as we try and try and try again to control it. We are healed as we are knit together, as we expose them to the light. And that is the invitation um, of this passage. It's not just to feel bad about fornication, impurity, yada, 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 yada. And you could add to this list. Paul is, Paul's got sex and greed on his mind. That's what Heidi said. I've been waiting for you to say it, and you hadn't said it. So this is Heidi's words. Paul has sex and greed on his mind, but you could insert all sorts of things into this, right? All the stuff that goes with slavery and darkness and imprisonment and sin and brokenness, it all goes into this camp. And as we can expose it to one another, as we can trust each other to not point the finger and judge, as we can treat each other with kindness as brothers and sisters in Christ, then we're knit together and then we are healed. And then we move toward thankfulness, which is how I was supposed to, we were supposed to end it. And then you already got there. So I don't know what we do now. I'm, it was so good. It's hard for Jamie to work with me because he's really linear and I'm really not. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> But I think it's important to talk about gratitude again, because, so let me expose to you a little bit of me, um, because I think I think this is safe. So I preach, I've preached on thankfulness. You've heard me. I've preached on gratitude. I sing the song gratitude, right? It's, it's practicing gratitude, but inside my brain, when I hear Heidi talk about practicing gratitude or writing it in a journal, some part of me that is broken, and it's probably toxic masculinity, is probably what it comes from, being raised in that kind of culture. I, I feel like, oh, that's silly. It's silly to say, oh, being thankful is going to solve things. And the reality is, when I am thankful and when I recognize that I have so much to be thankful for, it does change my moral compass. And I'm working on it. And so the invitation to you is the twofold thing. One, be knit together. Expose the darkness to one another. And in everything, give thanks. 
learn to be thankful people. Learn to do what I struggle to do. Walk in this with me as we grow in thankfulness. Because again, it's not God's expectation that today you walk away from this room a whole, healed, healthy, non-addicted, completely thankful individual. Good news, you get a chance to fail, and you probably will. But his hope is that you will step closer to the light. And when somebody shares something with you, because it doesn't always happen, you don't have to fix them. You don't have to set them straight. You don't have to have good advice. They don't want you to have any of those things. They just want you to be there and listen and pray and care and say, it's okay to be that way here. It's okay to be however you are here. They don't want you to fix it. Remind yourselves, Christians, people don't want you to fix it. They don't want you to tell them what they're doing wrong. They don't want you to set them straight. Listen and pray and say, it's okay to be that way here. We're Pentecostals by doctrine. We believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and active, and everything that we read in the Bible can happen today. And what that means is we confess together the Holy Spirit's got this, okay? Somebody confesses something to you, just remember the Holy Spirit's got this. If you come across something that you need to speak to somebody and to be healed, the Holy Spirit's got this, right? We just trust in the power of God. That's what we do. That's what, we, that's what Christians do. Real Christians. We were not the old, stodgy, anti-fornication, can't talk about, you know, I, I got a, a, I'll show you. If you want to see, I got a loosely crass card that I can show you later. It's really fun. We can have that kind of jokes, and it, but we are people who walk and trust in the Holy Spirit to change us day by day. That's what it's all about. Man, let's finish. We could just, we just, I do say weird things. How do you want to finish? Let's pray and sing. Okay, you, you do it. Let's Stand sing. with us. Yeah. Stand with us. And we're you got to use your microphone. I can't hear you. Stand with us. I always bring it down when I say sing. So I said the key word sing, mic goes down. <laughs> and will you sing the doxology with us today? Praise God.